Well, welcome back to the second part of the Stella Duffy interview. Uh, in the first part, we talked about her founding of the fund policies and her interest in making sure that everybody fulfilled their creative potential. Uh, in this part, we're going to be talking about her interest in the arts. And but first, ask Stella what keeps her comfortable, sane, relaxed during this very difficult and stressful period uh, that we're going through. You want to start? Okay. Well, um, I'll start. I'll start. Look, just looking down my list. Why don't I start with TV because it's the one at the top. Okay. So uh, these are all so difficult, and I'm sure all of your guests have said this. I, I've, str I've given myself two or three options. I winnowed it down, and then I sort of just this morning I went, okay, it'll be this one. <laughs> so TV, I'm going to pick Hill Street Blues. Mm, and I'm picking Hill Street Blues because I have loved the times that I've worked in the States, and I have a, a passion for my American friends and for the States. Um, but I'm also picking it because I do a lot of work in ensemble. And Hill Street Blues was one of the first proper full-on ensemble TV uh, pieces. And, you know, it was very nearly the West Wing. But I, Hill Street <laughs> Blues goes back to the the beginning of that thinking. How can we have a great core cast, a really inclusive core cast? I mean, I last night in preparation for this, I went back and looked and I looked at the huge range of characters that the Bochco had in that and, and how wide it was. And, you know, we're still complaining that television isn't diverse enough. And, of course, I'm not saying it ticked all the boxes, but it did some pretty phenomenal stuff. Um, feminist, inclusive, interesting but also just really well-written, yeah. just so well-written. Mm -hmm. um, and I remember that, so that came out in 1981. I was in my first year at university. I had all of these dreams about where I might go and what I might do. And so that for me is, yeah, Hill Street Blues is a go-to and also because it leads on to all of those other wonder, wonderful ensemble series. Mm -hmm. uh, sort of a groundbreaking series, yeah, I agree. Um, all right, let's go to movies. How about that? Okay. So, okay, this is really difficult. I haven't given you All About Eve, despite the fact that it has <laughs> some of the best lines in history. Um, I, have, I have picked Moana. Um, and I picked Moana because I grew up in a small town in New Zealand. I grew up in a small town in New Zealand that was um, has a large Maori and Samoan and other Polynesian population. Uh, Moana is hopeful. It has a great female heroine. Unlike most Disney, she doesn't end up having to get married and shut up for the rest of her life. Um, and I think that at the moment we could really do with some hopeful and uh, the rock singing You're Welcome is pretty hopeful. And I, and I also think that if I am on my quarantine island, uh, <laughs> I, I might need a raft of my own to get away. So, um, yeah, Moana is my girl for that. Okay. So uh, that goes back to New Zealand, New your roots. And, and yeah. The, the, yeah. I totally understand. And, and you, you like to feel um, that connection during times of crisis. Absolutely. I, mean, I, I, I was born in, in South London, not far from where I live now. And we moved to New Zealand. My dad was a New Zealander who came over um, at the beginning of the Second World War. He was in the New Zealand Air Force. And my mum was in the, the army here. Um, and they met during the war. And we went back to New Zealand when I was five years old. And my New Zealand, it's it's not the big cities, although I did go to the university in Wellington, which is a stunning city. But it's small town. 
it's all about the land, it's all about the sea. And for me, at a time like this, one of the things I'm missing very much is that land and that sense of security, despite the fact that it's a shaky land and it has its earthquakes, mm. that sense of security you get from really yeah. loving a place. And also there's something comforting about the ocean for some reason because oh. of its regularity. It's like it's always been – it's a sort of a universal – Absolutely. I'm a, I'm a swimmer. I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher. I love yoga. But for me, being in the water, being held by the sea, there's nothing like it. And in a time of uncertainty, you know, the sea is uncertain and it holds us. It, it's my place. Okay. And now, how about novels, since you are a novelist? Okay. Well, um, it, once an, uh, I'm going to say them both anyway, even though you haven't given me that permission. So my novel is Ridley Walker by Russell Hoban. Oh. And um, it, it too came out in 1980, 81. Um, it's a post-apocalyptic novel. And it's written in a language, you know how um, uh, Clockwork Orange is, is written in English that's not English. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so is Ridley Walker. And it's it's just a great book. It's It's dark, it's atmospheric, it's set in a post-apocalyptic part of Britain and in Thanet in Kent as if it has moved away, separated from the land. It's um, got hidden meanings. It's all, It's one of the very few novels that I have bought time and again to give away to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be a good post-apocalyptic read. It's quite bleak though. And so because it's quite bleak, and this isn't a novel, but I think When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron is such a useful book at the moment. Um, I have a Buddhist practice. Her, it's a different Buddhism than she practices, but Things are falling apart at the moment, yeah. and we can find value in what falls apart. And Pema Chodron writes so succinctly and so challengingly, actually. She doesn't say, there, there, it's going to be okay. She really points up the challenges. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, Krista Tippett, do you know her podcast? I do. I love her podcast. And she just featured uh, that book, I think, on one of her yeah. shows. Um, I, I, it really turned me on to something. Yeah, it's very oh, yeah. On, being, on Being is a great podcast. Mm-hmm. So um, well, hopefully you'll um, let's let's move on to what are we uh, poems? Are you, okay. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm um, covering I'm, everything I'm, today. <laughs> you are. I'm going with Emily Dickinson. Yeah. And uh, again, it was very close. It was nearly William Carlos Williams, um, but it, Emily Dickinson. I, I cannot. When I think when I think about where we are now, right? Actually, this makes me always want to cry. Because I could not stop for death, death kindly stopped for me. That's where we are right now. We've just been pushing ahead and pushing ahead, but certainly the whole of my lifetime, I'm 57, and and death will stop us. Mm -hmm. Whether we pay attention to that or not, death will stop us. And to give it time, to give our mortality time, I've I've had um, cancer twice in my life, And acknowledging my mortality, acknowledging the truth of my that my limited life has been so valuable to me. And I genuinely think, and, and Dickinson's, you know, stunning writing about um, death, I mean, mostly about death, but Dickinson's writing about that. And, you know, hope is the thing with feathers. They're just lines throughout what she has to say that remind us to take time 
to pay attention to what is, not what we've lost and not what's to come, but just to be here and now. I, she's fantastic for that. And when also when you think of her own life in its own version of lockdown, yes. Yes. just the way she lived. So I think we have a lot to learn from Dickinson. I think we really do. Uh, has there ever been a one-woman show on Dickinson? I can't believe there hasn't, uh, because it, it would be so good. Wouldn't you know, it be sure, so? Surely there have been. I think there it's must the, have right, been. the right time to, to <laughs> research that, and I, I, would, I would love oh, well, to see it. I've done two solo shows, so uh, yeah. you're tempting. I, I, I think that would be brilliant. Um, so... Um, we are now getting into, uh, what, what, what are we missing? Uh, what uh you haven't had my album. Okay. That's it. Music. We just totally yep. neglected music. Go, so, go, uh, go for it. I, w- I would like to pick, please, Hunky Dory by David Bowie. Ooh. Um, and that's because it's got Life on Mars yes. on it. It's got Andy Warhol and the Bewley Brothers. It's, it's not such a famous, famous album. So I think anybody who's not had it before would be in for a treat so it would be nice for them um and it's it's really varied i mean as an album it's it's got you know here's here's some great hits but also here's some bowie being experimental being playful um you know what i've got going in my head now is andy warhol andy warhol warhol and him repeating that and repeating it and the playfulness of that and the that was, you know, that came out in, I think, 71, when I would have been eight. So to hear that because of my big sister it was just mind-blowing. And I think we could all do with a bit of life on Mars at the moment because things are extremely yeah. different. Very, very well chosen. I hadn't thought about that one for a while. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it makes me want to play it. Uh, I'll so, play it. Play it too. I, play, I played it. Too. I listened to it because of this podcast. So thank you so much oh, for that. Okay, my pleasure. So uh, we're getting down to it. Um, and um, so music. What other music for for? Um, I guess is there. I mean, David Bowie Bowie connects with uh, certain feelings that you have right now. But when you yeah. have, when you want to escape, when you want to relax. What do you want to slow down? Um, well, I, I still listen to pop music because that's who I am. Um, I'm not a, not much of a classical buff. Um, so, uh, Rumours, Fleetwood Mac's Rumours, mm. which is my teens, and uh, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow is just, you know, both times I've had cancer, I remember going for a run before my big surgeries, mm. listening to that. Yeah. And, well, it's also got Songbird on it, if I remember rightly. Um, yeah, amazing women, so often... In popular music, it's all about the men mm. and, uh, I, you know, amazing women. And then that would lead me to Regina Spector, Ooh, which would yes. lead you to Eva Cassidy. You know, just oh. phenomenal women singers who could, could get really us brighten up. through this. Uh, what, what, what's the one Reg- uh, Spector sings, Regina Spector sings about a belief in God? Uh, no one, um, uh, I don't know. It, it, you know, no one's uh, no no one jokes about God in a hospital. That uh-huh, uh-huh. That I mean, you know, she's she's awfully good on illness, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. she's and I, I saw her perform once, and it was just so joyous yeah. because she was 
all there. You know, when, when you go to a concert, and I don't go to concerts very often. No, I've been but to when twice, I do, two, two of hers. They are yeah, really good. Yeah. I, I want the performer to genuinely be there, and I know that it might be tiring for them, and I know they might have done it 90 times, but but when they're there, you can it's just electric. You can genuinely feel it. Mm-hmm. And she performs in that way, which is yeah. just you know, phenomenal. All right, I'm going to push you support because I, 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 you, you are really a performer as well as a writer. <laughs> what performances? All right, if you had a performance to come back mm. to, uh, because I'm, uh, these, <laughs> these are extracurricular types. Yeah, yeah. I'm going Go for, but if, if you know people, actors who have that capacity to bring yeah. you to the moment, what are yeah. those those iconic moments for you? Um, well, I like myself some Shakespeare and, uh, at the globe, um, towards the end of last year, I think it was, or maybe it'd been earlier in last year at the Shakespeare's globe in London, my friend, Adjua Ando, who is a great performer and lives up the road from me and who I did a play with decades ago, but she's a far more successful actor than I would ever have been. And for your American listeners, yes, she's been in Doctor Who, so that will help. Um, and uh, Adj uh, played Richard II in an all-female, all-women-of-colour Richard II. And not just all women of colour on stage, but all women of colour on the production team. And so often Shakespeare is treated as if it only belongs to men and only white men at that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, seeing that production... And, and within 10 minutes, forgetting that it was only women on stage and and not really going, oh, there's a black woman, there's an Asian woman, you know, none of that. It was about just the strength of this phenomenal ensemble who were all amazing and who would rarely, absolutely rarely get the chance to play those roles. Because if you cast the way it's written, you will be casting more white men. So for me, when theatre does that, yes. that that thrills me. Uh, on the other hand, um, Matthew Bourne, I, I love ballet and I love um, dance in all its forms. And uh, Matthew Bourne's company, New Adventures, is, is for me one of the most phenomenal British companies. Um, their uh, red shoes, which I saw, I've seen twice now. I mean, it, it's, I love the red shoes movie. <laughs> to see a red shoes live is something, yeah, just something phenomenal. And that that production was so strong, and uh, yeah, just amazing, amazing production. And even sitting here on a hot afternoon mm. in London, I can picture it, picture the strength of it. Mm. Yeah, um, you're very fortunate to be so in touch with those uh, feelings, emotions, uh, part of your artistic, creative temperament, I expect. But, um, they are important to us during times of crisis, this feeling. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, the other thing that I'm currently doing is I'm studying existential psychotherapy. I'm in the first year of my doctorate. Wow. And existential work, I mean, you know, it's kind of ideal right now. What's meaningful? What's valuable? What really matters? That's all we have in the end. And so, yeah, sure, all sorts of therapies can be of value, but existential therapy, which places the emphasis on finding our true selves, finding what matters to us in value, I that that for me is is enormous. And so, you know, this is the opportunity of this moment, right? 
Totally. That, okay. that, I mean, that we have been forced to get all the other cl- cl- clutter out of our lives, and now we, we, there's no excuse. We, absolutely. We have to focus. We can't avoid kind of um, using our full selves to figure out what is really important. Absolutely. I had my first experience of cancer at 36, and it wasn't that no bad things had happened to me. You know, my father died suddenly when I was in my 20s. My sister died when I was in my teens. You know, I'd I'd experienced some things I thought were pretty difficult, but I hadn't understood my own mortality until I was faced with it for me. Someone else's mortality is not quite the same. And hard though that experience was, it really opened up a whole new range of possibilities in my life to me around choices, around paying attention to what matters, what I want to do with my life. You know, what really matters, not what have I believed matters because someone else persuaded me. And I think for all of us, unless we pay attention to what matters for each of us, not for our faith, not for our family, not for our partners, much as we may love them, not for our children, much as we may love them, but what genuinely matters for each of us as an individual, when we're not really allowing ourselves to, to fully live. So it, for me, it's finding those moments of joy, which are, you know, because so much of the daily experience of quarantine is boredom. You have to, you know, it's like one day is very much like another day. You right. Have to, you have to sort of create joy in your life in order to be fully alive. Absolutely. And to find joy within limitations, very existential thinking, we all have limitations and they may be physical, they may be emotional, they may be mental, who knows? But to find joy within that rather than railing against the limitation. Okay. Is so valuable. Um, my wife and I have been together for thirty years this year, and one of the things that has thank you, one of the things that has been so amazing for us in this lockdown period is I go away for work a lot because of fun palaces and travelling around Britain, and because of performance work sometimes and, and book tours. I've been home solidly for nine weeks, and we have not spent this much good time with each other. Every evening we have the great privilege of having a loft in our house that used to be the attic and is is now our bedroom. And it has, it's not a beautiful view, it's a view over London rooftops. And it's not just, you know, just in case you're wondering, it's not pretty Mary Poppins rooftops either, it's actual, actual rooftops. But we get to see the sunset and we've been going upstairs every night to watch the sunset and just spend a little bit of time talking to each other. She's working at the other end of the house and it's not really that far. It's only a small London terrace, but she's working, you know, in her room. I'm working in mine. We've both got quite a lot on. She's caring for her mother. But every night we've been able to spend some time just looking at the sunset. And I want to cry saying that because I didn't know how much I was missing that time. You know, I didn't know, neither did she. We, we thought we were spending lovely time with each other and we didn't know how much we were missing this time with each other. Wow. It feels like a real privilege to have that and to acknowledge it. And there's the joy, I think, yeah. when you can see that it's happening. Mm-hmm. So we're almost kind of in a, a new state of consciousness where we're becoming more aware of the valuable things, of the important things. 
And to what extent will that stay with us when things start moving on? What, to what extent will people change as a result of this? And you look back, um, kind of help looking back to the 1918 situation, mm-hmm. where all people wanted to do, we had the Roaring Twenties. Yes. Where people went <laughs> crazy. Yeah. They just said it was going to be fun now. We've mm-hmm. had this dark, tragic period. We're now just going to, you know, uh, basically live it up. Yep. Those obviously with means to do that. Well, um, yes, that happened. But we also got modernism. We got yeah. jazz. That's I mean, true. I know jazz started earlier, but we got we got talking movies. We got um, Picasso. Yes. Uh, you know, so, so yeah. I. There is a possibility, I think, that as long as we don't just go only wild, that we don't turn into Jay Gatsby and that we pay, pay attention to each other and pay attention to the community, I think there is a possibility that, that what the, the resurgence gives us is also all those amazing new art forms that, that we cannot dream unless we go through it. Okay. You know, at the moment, we're, we're Orpheus and we don't know what we're coming out of the underworld with. Mm. Oh, that's a great metaphor. Whoa, <laughs> that's really. Great. Oh, I, I'm all I'm all over Orpheus. He's 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 my man at the moment, um, and, and we don't know what we're coming up with. And and you know he goes down to to get Eurydice, but she's already dead. She can't come home. Come on, mate. She can't come home. You have to go through it yourself, and you come out changed. As long as we pay attention to the fact that we are in this. And that whatever we come out into, we are still in it. I have deep hope in humanity. I really do. On that note, unless you've got some other incredible choices, <laughs> I, I just think this has been a brilliant conversation. I just feel so much better having. Well, I'm, I'm very glad. I do have one though, because yeah, you didn't ask please. me what, what podcast I was listening to. Oh, that's right. Okay. And um, there's a podcast called This Jungian Life. And even though I've talked about myself as an existentialist, yeah. I find Jung and Jung around storyteller. As a storyteller, I, yeah. I really think Jung is amazing. And it's uh, three um, Jungian therapists in the States. And uh, I find their conversations really interesting. And I usually listen to them while I'm running. I don't run far and I don't run fast, but they are great running companions. Well, I'm going to check that out right away because <laughs> uh, Jung is a, is a real hero of mine too uh, just oh, cool. that, yeah. I feel like so good about this this is this is this is hopeful news I, from I'm someone, someone who really really has a a particular sensitivity to this moment I feel like um, I could not have chosen uh, a better guest uh, And I'm thrilled that I want to try to see if I can do some stuff around this um, October when you have your huge uh, festival. We'll try to figure out a a way to get Rockville excited about this. That would be so exciting. You know, our huge festival may end up being... so in the past, we've had like 500 where 500 fun palaces where 20 or 2,000 people have come to. If this year we have 2,000 fun palaces that five people come to, that's totally fine. You know, last year there was a massive fun palace in Athens. What if there's 20 tiny fun palaces, one for each, I don't know, community centre, that people have to stand six feet apart? It's still connection, right? It's still yeah. joining up. Yeah. 
um, well, I, I know a few people, and, and we're going to try to figure it out. Uh, so and we've got I, loads of resources on our website. Yeah. And if they decide that they just like the resources and they don't want to make a fun palace, everything's free. They're just welcome to them. Um, you are doing incredible work, so I just Thank feel, you so uh, much. I, I feel very honored and, and a brilliant uh, and lots of major success. And let's, let's keep in contact. I'd uh, love to do that. That would be lovely. Thank you so much. Well, I hope uh, you enjoyed that as much as I did, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll talk soon, and uh, from me to you, uh, bye, and stay safe.